spookiest time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. Mom, is that you? No, it's me. Yara? Yeah. Don't open the door! See? Everything's okay. All right, listeners, welcome back to 31 for 31, a Halloween podcast to keep you in the spirit all month long. Today is episode 22, and we have David Robert Mitchell's 2014 horror film, It Follows. I am one of your hosts, Chris Boniello, along with... I don't know about you, but I'm Cody Mason. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Jamie Lansdowne, and we have a guest. On today's episode, we have... Weston Auburn, producer extraordinaire from Art School Athletics, and he's also producer of an upcoming horror film titled Last Call, directed by Winnie Chung. Weston, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Excited to be here. Thanks for joining an us. Athlete. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Wes, did you play any sports in high school? I did. I put, or at art school? I, I did, actually. I, I played, I, I went to film school at Savannah College of Art and Design, and I played lacrosse believe it or not yeah i love it yeah cross you know. i wouldn't have expected that of you i know it's a deep dark secret <laughs> there's, a, there's a cradle pun to be made did you grow up on long them. island no i mean I, well, I grew up i grew up you know outside of rochester and then chicago yeah all so. right crossy areas well I, all right i could have seen the kids in this movie playing lacrosse it felt it felt lacrosse friendly that <laughs> area of detroit it follows takes place outside of detroit we are following Jay or Jamie, who's our oh, yeah, we are. main character. <laughs> She's a young college student at Oakland University, not to be confused with the Oakland not in Detroit. And she has a, you know, chance sexual encounter with a cute new guy and is slowly followed, slowly, very slowly by what he reveals to her as some sort of supernatural creature out to kill her. And the only way she can get rid of it is by passing it on through a sexual encounter and just keep passing it and passing it and she's going to see it until, I guess, it kills her. There's no real... uh, He doesn't give her an end goal. (laughs) Yeah, there isn't a lot of finality here. It's just just a nice follow. But we've got to... I think, you know, we'll, we'll dive into how this progresses and how the lore kind of unveils itself. But I look forward to hearing each of your ideas on how you would handle this situation. Because <laughs> I watched this. First of all, I watched this to date us a little bit. Uh, the night when New York city was completely flooded and exploding uh, in, you know, it's September or late August, September of, uh, of 2021. And that was nice and anxiety inducing, but I watched it for the first time with my wife who had very distinct ideas more than any other horror movie about how to, how to avoid death. Uh, Was this your first time seeing it? Oh, no, I've seen this probably five times, but it always just seemed vaguely creepy enough with the opening scene that she left the room. So Uh, (laughs) this was the first time she she followed through. Had had you seen It Follows before? Yeah, this is one of my few Blu-ray 
Blu-rays oh, that, wow. that that I own. Oh, dude! I, for, for, oh, <laughs> physical for media the non, for the non-visual media <laughs> that we're producing. Both Chris and Wes just produced that on command. It's <laughs> the side of them right now. The same exactly, Rick. Obviously, you got to keep it close. No steelbooks, Chris. Come on, you know. No Shout Factory release yet. I'm sure it'll come soon. But we're getting the guest. You know, yeah. unlike Chris, I I actually own like five Blu-rays, and this is one of them. <laughs> so I busted out the PS3 which sounds like a jet engine and, <laughs> and, and plugged it in and, and, and watched it. But uh, I played smooth, played smooth. Yeah. And the first time I saw it was in the theater. I was living in LA at the time and we, we saw it in Hollywood. So it was, it was pretty scary. I really liked it. I remember. Jamie, did you see it in the theater? Hmm? I saw this in, in Dublin, Ireland, actually. So you know, I feel like I, this was a, this was one that kind of stuck with you. If you saw it in the theater, I saw it in at BAM in Brooklyn and at the time I was living out in Ridgewood and I remember just being on the train on the on the subway all the way back to Ridgewood and you know as most people do on the train and things that happen there's always a few strange characters and there was someone walking just between all the train cars and <laughs> Ooh, I saw that's them that's a good scene for it follows oh man yeah. I saw them a whole train away and then they st- you know they're walking through people walking towards me and I had headphones on and did the casually take my headphones off pretend like i was looking at something else and do you like, see her yeah, yeah. I, gra- I grabbed i grabbed that pole so hard because even if it wasn't the you know the creature to come in to kill you normally the person who's walking through train cars yeah, is forbid, gonna it's just yeah. a normal crazy person is gonna cause a problem anyway so yeah i mean geez jason takes manhattan did it first but i mean that's you could keep that rolling that scene yeah in my, i'm never gonna forget it, it terrified me and it, i didn't i wasn't that scared Within the movie, it was just one of those later on when it when it gets you. It's definitely a uh, creeping dread movie that stays with you. Like, yeah, there's a few jump scares, but it's mostly the feeling afterwards. I remember also seeing it in theaters alone. No one wanted to go see it with me. And I was like, it was, it was a Sunday and I it was just a movie, you know, like it's such a great elevator pitch premise that I was like, I really wanted to see it. It just like was like the hot new horror movie. It looked great. And I remember I was working at the office at Picture Farm, Chris and Wes yep. on Wife, like the old office. And I went to just go see Nighthawk, like a matinee. I was like, screw it. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to, you know, take two hours to watch this movie. And I left my stuff at the old office. And I remember after the movie, it was dark and I went back and, you know, it's like pretty creepy. And I remember being like, I'm just going to pick this up on Monday. Like <laughs> I didn't go back yeah. in. I, was I think we out. had that same experience at that office, which I just sat in at regardless of not being an employee. And uh, during it comes at night era, <laughs> where it's just like, how did we come back here? Yeah. I was like, I should, we should have just left it. And that's what I did. I just left it and I walked home. And which yeah, was my also theater terrifying. was, my theater was near empty. I think at the IFI in Dublin, which I'm still a, a uh, premier member of i have the card and everything to prove it but it's a great theater if you're in the area <laughs> but i i think it was just me and a couple other couples uh you know me and my buddy he was my roommate at the time and i just remember the guy behind me just at least three times throughout the movie said hey just quit fecking <laughs> and and i was like well i mean yeah that's a yeah that's a good recommendation so uh you know i think we solved the movie right there yeah this one it it definitely sticks with you in that way. It feels, I mean, putting this on our list of Halloween movies, this was one of my quick picks that I feel like it all shot to the top of all of our lists. But it reminds me of whenever I feel like fall is actually coming here on the East Coast. It's usually like a walk at night. You're 
coming back from a bar, meeting up with people, doing something, and you kind of realize in a moment that you're a bit alone, and then the leaves start rustling and things start blowing. And this movie just takes it to that point of like, what if you turned around and there was just somebody slowly walking there, and then your life just turned into a terrifying Gregory Crudson <laughs> photo that doesn't yeah, end. As suburban <laughs> as suburban as this movie is, like it's a very New York experience too, where you feel like you can have any time of night if you turn around and somebody's walking behind you could be completely innocuous or it could be a murder <laughs> that's that's the feeling especially you know as as four white guys look at each other in the face like <laughs> a, a very distinct feeling for for women to experience just a completely different you know we we walk through night with help, yeah. helpless abandon yeah. just you know <laughs> hey i'm gonna go where i'm going in the middle of darkness but especially just that feeling of being a woman walking at home alone at night kind of you're either going to be a vampire in the Middle East or <laughs> or not to make the reference. But it's such a brilliant premise, brilliant premise that it's almost like I was surprised it hadn't been done before. Basically a killer STD and then it's just this entity that follows you. It's like so simple and but somehow no one had done it before exactly, even though like the whole sex rules of horror cinema are kind of cemented. It just kind of made that incredibly literal. <laughs> yeah and it's the it's the subtext made text of all stalking michael myers jason slashers exactly and i love that the director who i don't know if you guys have seen his first movie the myth of the american sleepover which is actually kind of feels strangely enough like a companion I, I piece like chris and wes were about to pull out the blue yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh you mean this yeah that one uh it's and that movie is like a almost like a dazed and confused light, but it feels very much in conversation with this strangely. They're kind of dealing and grappling with the same themes. And I recommend checking it out to see the sort of evolution of, he kind of takes some of the themes that he was exploring in that film and then places them in this like horror context. And it has that same sort of timeless dreamy feel, which I think also elevates this film because you could almost see taking this premise and then like maybe the full on slasher, like 90s route of how this premise would play out as opposed to how it actually ends up playing out, which makes it even more unique. Like I like that he brought his the director brought his sensibilities to this premise in a way that felt kind of fresh, a little more contemplative, slowed it down, you know, made it very much like a horror movie, but the way he wanted to make it a horror movie. Which is my fear for It Follows too. If they make oh, yeah. It Follows In a too. subway car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this movie has a very well-directed, well-coached naturalism, just like a Linklater movie does, where it's like, oh, everybody seems breezy, but it's like incredibly intentional. To, you know? Yeah. It's not necessarily just people riffing. It's just a very well, well-performed, uh, coached, you know, sense of teenagers just yucking it up and hanging out a little bit more. Yeah. And I think I'd be, you know, before we dive into this, the spooks of it all, you know, and I think this movie is kind of timeless and it has this sense of, you know, Americana that could be, you know, anytime, I think, after 1999, in, except for one thing, which I think I have to call out, which is, what are your thoughts on the shell e-reader that oh my gosh. <laughs> I think everybody watching this movie has to pause and go, hey, that's kind of cool. That woman as a sh- that, that teenager has a the character of Yara 
has just a little shell sized e-reader where she's reading, you know, Dostoevsky or something. <laughs> and it's, you know, intentional to plug in like very direct <laughs> yeah. thematic material. But I think it's like, the idiot. She could have a book, you know. And so I've always been curious. I have did I did not do enough research on this very small thing. I think I I read some stuff about how like it was played to be timeless and inserting that was to throw people off their rhythm. But any other thoughts or notes on that? I think that's it. That it was very distracting. It was a triple deke of, of cinema language. It was just, yo, like, you know, it's got the old TVs, like the old cars and everything. And everything feels, like you said, timeless. And then we're just going to throw in this, you know, Kindle, <laughs> essentially, to yeah, be like, it, what? And it's got to be, I mean, not too far in like that 70s, 80s, because Detroit is you know fully dilapidated at this point it's 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 current day detroit with these other elements added into it with some modern stuff as well i i just i like that mix it stays timeless it feels like you're in this almost music video meets greg gregory crudson photo world uh a lot of his photos i have his photo book somewhere around but it has these <laughs> on blu-ray i wish <laughs> physical media forever it's got a. Uh, this you know fog and hazy lights and there's usually a kind of disturbed naked character somewhere in the distance somewhere looking at itself and looking onto other things yeah and it 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 definitely ties way more into that if what like what if you took horror inspiration from that and i like that when i was reading some of the stuff that david robert mitchell talked about about making it somewhat timeless and having it have similar to a David Lynch feel of dream logic, but with these wide angles that Carpenter and Romero would use, mixing that realism with with the logic of a dream. And then also the fact that when you start to tell people the plot of this and try to say it out loud, it kind of doesn't make much sense or sound <laughs> that good. Like it on paper, it, reading the plot doesn't really work. Yeah, and I think thematically too, it sounds incredibly judgmental, but it doesn't feel that way to watch. Like it, it's not... Like, I think some people have analyzed it as just being like a, you know, a morality tale or a parable about like STDs or HIV and stuff like that. It's like this movie has no judgments of sexual activity. You know? Yeah. Like it, it doesn't read that way at all. I think it's just kind of this inevitability of like the unfairness of the consequences of sexual activity mm -hmm. in certain communities. But like, I think that's a very interesting part of it for me that I think it's like you can't make this movie without the implication of like, you know considering that there's a sense of like the ring like you got yourself into this you know almost to a certain degree like you watch this on purpose and while she didn't know about it when she entered the cycle like she gets two of her friends yeah. involved in the cycle purposefully and it's like those don't feel like judgmental moments except for the irish guys you open the me. puzzle box <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i think at first she's blameless and then like even when there are decisions made to help her or like other people take the buck in the cycle, like those aren't judgy moments either. And I think if you describe this as someone is like, oh, you pass on an STD of, of Michael Myers chasing you, it would sound like, oh, those, you know, that's why you don't have sex. It's like that move. The movie doesn't really take those swings to to make that point. It's it's a weird kind of thematic line to draw, yeah. you know, being nice to its characters a little bit more. I I thought it was also interesting watching it with this 2021 lens of, I mean, this movie's like seven years old, but there's in the beginning of the movie too, there's a lot of, of her saying to her sister and her friend, you know, do you, you guys don't believe me? And so there's also with that, you know, the STD 
line there's also uh you know like a sexual assault line here too where mm-hmm. where you yeah. know but people believing you know victims of, of sexual assault and and that was something that uh maybe unfortunately i i didn't pick up the first time i saw the movie but this time i felt definitely was was more present in, in this viewing of it of it is in in that beginning of like no one believes her you know everyone thinks mm-hmm. you know she just had a date you know gone bad the cop says to her like but it was consensual right and and mm-hmm. so yeah it was, it, i thought that was also kind of interesting kind of part to it and and, and just viewing it you know in in the year 2021 yeah. Yeah. And the scene that's really stark about that is like when he drops her off after having sex with her consensually, but then, you know, very unconsensually getting her involved in this loop of a, a monster <laughs> has to follow you if it's your turn. You know, how he takes her, makes her witness that, scares her so completely, has this very vulnerable moment of her tied to a wheelchair in underwear, which feels very, very unconsensual. Yeah. And I think the, you know, the language that's kind of used visually of her being thrown out of the car on the curb and him driving off reads very much like, you know, a date rape scenario. And that's very purposeful, I think. And I think that's something I respect a little bit more about this movie watching now and, and kind of understanding too, like has a delicacy for kind of the, the feelings and implication and the dread of how people hurt people in those ways outside of just sending a monster after them, especially the female characters in this and the character that for, for Jamie has so much of this wrapped up around how she kind of enters this situation, you know, with a totally innocent lens and gets her whole (laughs) friend group involved in this crazy stuff. And I think that's something that really, you know, it was, a, a bit more of a wake-up call that it's not just like, oh yeah, this is just another group of teens getting themselves involved in a mystery they shouldn't be a part of. It's, it's yeah, very unjudgmental and, mm-hmm. and very much like, even though they're sometimes making decisions that don't make sense to avoid the monster, there's not a <laughs> sense of judgment for them, like, in general being the the people involved in a slasher movie, which, you know, is not common, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. 100%. And I think, like, for me, I read the film as sort of, and to tie it into our next film, it's just like the, you know, burgeoning adulthood and like what that means. Obviously, like sex is related, like a big, like thematic marker of becoming an adult. And, you know, what's scary about this film when you think about like, oh, man, it would be fucking scary if some dude was like following you around or some entity was following you around. But in some sense, we already already have that because, you know, we're all going to die one day. So, like, I always kind of read the film as like basically the understanding when you're older of your mortality and that one day you're going to die. So like in one sense, yes, this entity could catch up to you years down the road, which was my thought of like, yeah, what if I like flew to Australia and like, I just like, you know, I passed it on and I just like left it behind me. But like one day it'd be so scary if it came out to get you. But that's kind of like what we're all dealing with in some sense. That like when you get older, you get a bit more conscious of, oh yeah, I'm gonna die one day. <laughs> and you're doing okay. You're, there, you're not gonna. You're doing okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but and that's what kind of is I think brilliant about it is that it, it's kind of tying this like this fear into something that is obviously literalized, but something that we all kind of deal with and maybe in the back yeah. of our head. And I think it definitely takes that swing very clearly at the end. Yes. Kind of like walking hand in hand with the knowledge that this might be behind you, you know, is kind of coming to terms with that notion. And I think the earlier half too, just is again, for this panel of 
Blu-ray wielding <laughs> white guys, you know, like it is a, a nice insertion of emotional feeling of, of having the lens of kind of the anxiety, generalized anxiety around a, a rape culture that women have to deal with all of the time being kind mm-hmm. of thrust upon you as, you know, a white guy viewer of being like, oh, OK, I understand how that, you know, if I can insert myself into this character, having this follow them around in this literal sense it's a fraction of how I can understand how that is felt all of the time, you know? So I, I saw this probably all the other times I've seen it. I've never seen it with a, with a woman before. And then, you know, seeing it now <laughs> with a, with a mixed group, it's like, yeah, I think that the, a lot of those feelings are a lot more familiar to half of the audience for mm-hmm. sure. Um, which I think is really poignant, especially since we have, you know, a very pointedly female lead in this too. Yeah. Who's shown up. This is her second time. Uh, on the playlist yeah shout out to micah monroe yeah yeah who you know will be returning in our episode on independence day resurgence (laughs) (laughs) not quite not quite but you know the other element to this too is is our is our guy paul you know the like the dork who you know (laughs) likes likes the girl um, and I thought like what David Robert Mitchell did as far as that dynamic between him and her and then bootleg Johnny Depp, basically, right? Uh, <laughs> Very yeah. fair call. Da- yeah. Daniel, Daniel Zavato. Um, Tough but fair. <laughs> but, but like, you know, he comes in and it, there's so much truth to the fact of like she had sex with him, the cool guy. Because it was almost like she knew he could take it and, and she she cared more about Paul that she didn't mm-hmm. want to put him at risk. And I thought that was a really, really effective, you know, storytell storytelling choice that that uh David Robert Mitchell made. Because I'm not saying that ever happened to me, I don't remember, but it just felt like it really <laughs> rang true, you know, of like, man, you know, why is this girl with this guy? Like, doesn't she know he's 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 a jerk? And like and and she basically kind of admits it too, right? She's like, Yeah, I know, like I did it on purpose. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's, it's even better than, than um, just casting even bootleg Johnny Depp as, <laughs> as too bad too. I think like he's not even shown to be that bad of a guy. He's no. just a guy that has a different value set. Yeah. and isn't like, you know, the, the kind of like nerdy, gross friend zone, toxic, nice guy <laughs> sometimes, you know, in who, just terms of, you know, logistics, you're going to assume that he has the ability to go out and try to pass this way faster way more long with with less emotional baggage or anything so yeah cure gilcrest going out and going to detroit hooker zone oh my god that, i forgot about that that's so it's so stark it's just yeah, like, yeah. it's just like oof. That's do you guys child, think you went but, through with it was that like your i think so. i think yeah, i, I think, think he so. did and that's why you know he's holding her hand at the end and they're kind of walking a little too confidently. I think he's probably yeah, like, it's like yeah. you know, this is yeah. this is only the first maybe few times he's ever had sex. So he's like, oh, yeah, I passed that along. Everyone's going to be having sex now. It's good. It's gone. And he's not realizing yeah. like those hookers might have a, you know, a few month dry spell out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or he might. I, I think everybody worse. has. a. <laughs> I know that's true. <laughs> but I think everybody has a kind of subtle character arc that I like where, you know, like he kind of goes from being the toxic nice guy that we talk about to kind of really understanding her and being 
who she needs then and then taking on the buck in, in a certain capacity and like whatever like the the bootleg Johnny Depp that we're being so mean to who actually <laughs> does a great job in this movie goes from being kind of cast as like a little bit of a fuck boy to being somebody who gets himself emotionally involved and, and cares for these people and takes swings to help he's them a good neighbor and, yeah, and then his biggest sin is that he just doesn't really believe in it, right? Well, like yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's kind of his his downfall. Yeah, but he still takes enough at face value to get involved and like help them to drive to the beach. Yeah, you know, like, but I think with these kids being so young, it's a bit. I mean, it's not really played for this, but I could see it as them being. They're still very naive to sex and just life and 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 this type of world in general. They're still living with their parents. Her mom is clearly an alcoholic, and dad has either died or gone away. I mean, we. I guess we find out he's dead if he's one of the things. I don't really know how the thing worked. That that on this watch <laughs> confused me more than I want to get back to. But that these, you know, she's she's having sex with, you know, an older neighbor cool guy who probably is telling stories or you're hearing things at school and classes. Oh, yeah, this party, that party, these people. She's assuming, yeah, he can at least pass it along to like four or five people by the end of the month, right? Hopefully, where the other kid's like, Oh, he's going to have to fall in love first. He's going to be a creepy, nice guy. It takes some time. <laughs> but the problem, too, is just to interrupt about the four or five people. It's like yeah. you can only pass it on to one person. You know? yeah. And then that person has to. Be, and that's what I'm it saying. It has is, to be like you need immediate gratification that the person that yeah. you are going to have sex with is going to have sex with another person that will also immediately have sex with another person. It has to be the spider effect. In my mind, I think they're hearing these stories, you know, like at college, they're hearing stories of parties or different things. Maybe they're like freshmen in college. They're probably like, oh, well, the seniors are just, you know, everyone in the house is just having an orgy. So we can just pass this along. Like, <laughs> that's that's quick. what I want to get into, because that's my suggestion. You know, <laughs> what, how do we get out Gail. of this? Like, what are, yeah. All right. Yeah. You know, like, first of all, to, to do a broad recap, you know, this ends up killing cool guy. She then passes it along to nice guy. You know, we'll talk about the confrontation of where they think they kill it when it doesn't really work. And we kind of have to keep pushing ourselves to passing it along. But it's just a sequence of how you. She might have given it to those guys on the boat, too. Exactly. She definitely, we don't know. Yeah, she so, did. Because the cast, oh yeah, they, the they have yeah. that. They have that close up of the cast. The wet cast. Like, yeah, soaking yeah. wet. So on this watch. I didn't I hadn't really noticed this before, but on this one, I actually noticed more of what it turns into and or shows itself as. Whereas on earlier watches, I thought it might be just other victims. And, and this was you could somehow trace something back to who it was on this one. I didn't realize how much it just actually is people. No, it's her very close. Dad. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's the dad. It's the kid's mom. I mean, you guys, you guys caught all that. I, it took me a bit to see like the neighbor kid. This yeah, sometimes it's just something freaky when that's helpful, and sometimes it's somebody close to you and that's helpful for its means. You know? Yeah. But I mean, it gets passed along a lot by this group. I think there's a lot of complaints that could be made about like, oh, you know, why didn't they really plan this through? They just drove to like St. Joseph's Lake, you know, like Lake Town area. Why why didn't they go further? Again, they're teenagers, they're doing the best they can. Like, no judgments held here, I think, in the movie. <laughs> but I guess my, you know, the suggestions that have been brought to my attention you know by parties i mentioned before like we got to get on a circuit of intercontinental <laughs> flight <laughs> attendants and pilots that get involved in orgies <laughs> so you can consistently know that they'll be flying across oceans having sex every time they do so that you have a, a really yeah. good tit and tat going back and forth well this was something i was watching on this one too where i don't know 
if like the distance really matters, if it actually has to walk to you or because of the way. I think it does. I think it does. But because of the way it can appear, it can change and then be like up on the roof or on other things where I was like, it that doesn't seem like the logical way it would walk to go get her. I, the roof is a throw off, but I think it's more of just to upset her. Like, yeah. I think it can be smart to go up there to be upsetting. Or it was then, trying to get in through the window. I don't know. <laughs> or like down the chimney or something. He's really disappointed on the roof. Like, I climbed this fucking roof. Yeah. Now you're leaving. I think the film also does something really interesting in the fact that it's a movie about sex, right? About teenage sex, young adult sex. And it is like the most unsexy movie and it actually treats nudity as a horror element. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's very upsetting when cool guy, like right before he dies, his like mom's boob is out. Like, it's like, <laughs> it's like pretty, pretty like, yeah, there's some weird stuff going on. And, and that's something that I found very interesting. It's just like the use of nudity as a horror element, as a freaky thing. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask the question, which is pretty gross, but do you think when we see the actual transference of like the electricity and power that kills somebody, when the thing catches you, when it's following you, it has sex with you in this crazy electrified, you know, kind of the ring getting you, your face gets distorted way. And everywhere that it's touching you is incredibly wet and goopy. Do we think that there's just semen everywhere? <laughs> That's my question. Like the hands to hands. There's like, like a close up of face. her hands and it's like wet yeah, with it's something. Like, it's yeah. really I disturbing. think it's semen everywhere. That's yeah. kind of weird. But I just kind of always just allowed that to be like, yeah, the raw sexual power of the sex monster would be like electricity and semen but like is is that only seen by people who have it or experience it and like what are the when the cops show up is it just like a dead kid well i mean and then at the beginning the greats you know well yeah stark beginning we didn't even talk about the jump and you know the opening cut to of a woman being broken in half and contorted and her leg being sideways it's like well that didn't you know that was (laughs) a little even crazier than what we saw later you know so i i i think there's a lot of things left unsaid just to be creepy. And again, like this is a monster that's told to be smart. So, you know, maybe it does different things, different <laughs> times, but you know, Jason kills in different ways. But yeah, I, I, I thought that was an interesting uh, observation of, of goopiness that I'll just put aside for now. <laughs> we won't think about. No, Wes, that was a good point about the nudity is certainly being like uh, being used in a like weaponized in a way to be horrifying and like i think certainly chris what you were saying like the the way that the creature is showing up kind of to fuck with her it's kind of like thematically important wherever like the script needs it to be like i think it's pretty poignant that it shows up as an old lady first to her like when she first sees it and that's really the first time we well that we see it i guess the first time we see it from her perspective is like a slightly older middle-aged woman and then we see it as an older woman which i think is also important for like the thematic like growth we see it as as that kid's mom which oh. i didn't catch like in the in the abandoned warehouse because that's why later on when she goes to the house and and opens the door yeah the mom that's answers, the same the mo- actress yeah that was like something i, n- I didn't catch the oh i didn't time. actually know that either that I, I didn't pick that up yeah the first time yeah no. so that's yeah why I, I need to do the youtube uh yeah. deep dive of <laughs> yeah. like all the actors that are shared between <laughs> those things or implied to be a father or do that do the, t- I, the tenant breakdown of, of this yeah, movie the, yes with like a yeah. million arrows being like, oh, this, 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 this. <laughs> all right my pitch it follows too it follows backwards. <laughs> Tenant tie-in. One thing about the the opening scene I wanted to ask is that 
Does that scene, that vignette happen before the main events of the film? Or is it almost like a tie, oh, tying into like the timelessness of it? Like, is that almost a vignette that could have happened at any point, even after the events of the film? Did you guys ever read it that way? After the events would be pretty sad. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's it's just like we have to show another example of how somebody would deal with this mm-hmm. in media res, you know, just kind of like the the panic that somebody's going to have in. I think the the difference of this is like that's like a tight family structure where like somebody is literally leaving a very attentive household. And I think that has poignance and them calling their parents has poignance so that later, I think there are questions always of like, why aren't you getting your parents involved in this? Why is this turning into a stranger things thing where like the kids aren't involved and like they do the work to explain how those parents aren't as involved so that they're doing this with just with their friend group. But I think that has the emotional resonance of just showing like this happens to all, all kinds of kids in this community. And I think that it's always pretty stark when you know to use our favorite word of the episodes when you get like the call back to the parents to involve them it feels very real and and lived in without having to do too much legwork pun on legwork given what happens to that (laughs) one but uh you know i I think that's just to to set it up to show like okay here's a different slice of what could have happened in this chain Mm -hmm. compared to these other kids that are a little bit more removed from that kind of type of a cycle you know it's almost like you could have shown um this happening at like a nursing home (laughs) just like it's gonna happen anywhere but so do you think uh hugh or jeff passed it on to that girl and then it came back to him and he was like fuck i need to find a better way to pass this on to someone and that's how he like comes up with the very elaborate wheelchair thing with uh jay i think that's his first time but that's just me i i don't know i think that if you knew about it you would there would be too much guilt to do it to someone mm-hmm. who you didn't see as disposable, which is awful how they do to the prostitutes. But I think that he seems like he's a, you know, he positioned himself once he understood it, at least to do it that way. But I don't know. It, it, it's a little ambiguous. He, he, I mean, so he clearly, right. He picks someone from a different town, kind of a little bit farther from him that he, I would love to know more about his like little Detroit hideout, uh, his, where, you know, he, he spent and, and what was he up on the third floor of there just masturbating, trying to get rid of this thing (laughs) Yeah, like with with all the tissues. He's like, if I just masturbate enough, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll leave my system. (laughs) It's a great like peek into a whole different story that we get like a little slice of like, and we kind of put the pieces together ourselves. Like we see the bottles on the, on the, like, is the little traps, the little alarm system that is set up. And like, you just imagine that he's been living this, awful life and like totally paranoid that you almost you know what he does to jay is awful but there is like a level of i don't want to say sympathy necessarily but understanding of like what the level the lengths that he's been driven to to do something this yeah you would be driven insane by this situation so not that you're not culpable but like there's a degree of understanding that goes into like yeah if you were insane running from this thing for long enough you would break yeah any person would you know and that's the best case scenario is setting that person up for success and wishing him on their way. But I do not like the decision to like do it on somebody that you couldn't keep tabs. On. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I need to be on their Instagram stories every night. Like you're still at it. Right. You know, but, I mean, uh, they don't fully test out how far it can swim. So you could just 
Got to get a boat and get. I like, think that way out. Move. I that think. thing can. It's like land of the dead. It's just gonna walk to Europe. Yeah, just so. in the yeah in the uh, at the bottom of the sea. Just keeps walking. Yeah, and I I think that brings us to where we should you know spend some time on the kind of resolution of i guess the climax not quite resolved but of them realizing after johnny depp's death that we have to uh figure something out in terms of killing this thing and i think we had a pretty okay idea of just like figuring out where it is and trying to shock it because it had some electrical elements maybe and then eventually just trying to shoot it but what do you think the game plan is there? How do you interpret the blood in the water? You know, just to walk it through, they they trap it in a community swimming pool. They try to fry it to death, but it ends up turning on them and showing up as Jamie's uh, fa- absentee father. Uh, they throw Not my a coat over it. Yeah, Jamie, <laughs> Jamie's dad, very involved. Um, and throw a, you know, a sheet over it and are able to shoot it and it completely bleeds out the entire pool, implying that something's been resolved, but it's also then but i think it only nothing is resolved it only really bleeds out in in jay's vision right i mean well i i think she's the only one who has the vision at that time you know to see where it is because she kind of has to point to it it's a very cool scene to shoot from those two perspectives you know the invisibility versus not but you know they've tried shooting it in the past they've tried to what was their thinking that this was going to be the silver bullet here i think the, the director is almost described it as like a scooby-doo logic of like yeah, the, yeah like it's kind like, of maybe a, we'll do this. yeah and i so you can kind of see it as these like these kids just trying to put you know basically trap this entity in some in however way they can and it's a little silly and it's probably like in my opinion the weakest part of the film because it gets like a little goofy but that being said, I do. It rings like, true, like them going to the lake town. Like, well, we drove forty-five minutes away. We're safe. Well, they feel right? like you kids know? who <laughs> sit on the couch all day watching, you know, those old nineteen fifties, sixties. They're watching like old horror movies. Like, oh, we can, you know, stuff drops in a pool or a bathtub, it electrocutes it, and then they, it. Yeah. then they quickly realize, like, oh, that's not necessarily. I read it on my clamshell <laughs> e-reader that this will work. They needed to confront it. I think that was the like what he was getting at. Was that they needed to like confront it because they'd been running away from it so on that it's like all right we we have to conf- face this in some sense. I think the most effective part of it is the ambiguity of whether maybe they did kill it. You know, like it's not really you never see it again after that point. Maybe at the end, you know, the figure at the very end of the film could or could not be it. It's sort of a inception top of like oh like is that the uh, the entity or not? But like I think after the the scene in the pool, it's sort of left unsaid of they did actually, maybe they did manage to kill it or not. I don't think they did just because it seems too supernatural to die from a bullet and all that. But yeah, I think it's the inception logic of the only thing that matters is that it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. They go on with their lives. But I think that's the Halloween aspect of it for me is just how Hardy Boys this feels, how, you know, Scooby-Doo this feels of just children, again, getting thrust into a situation where they peek beyond the veil and it's like, oh man, I've I've entered an autumnal, spooky, spectral situation that I'm not equipped for, so we'll hop on some bikes and handle it. Like that's quintessentially a Halloween feeling movie for me outside of its kind of crunchy leaves tapestry, you know, um, just how it plays with that innocence and of course the themes i think are some of the most 
you know, aligned themes outside of maybe trick or treat on this list of having, <laughs> okay, this is a, a story about innocence and the growth into adulthood through the lens of dealing with something outside of the natural. You know, it's like, there you go. That's Halloween night in a nutshell. So <laughs> uh, at its best. But and I think it plays well with with others, too, on the playlist where like House of the Devil for tomorrow's episode, too. It's like, hey, you've got you've got really good you know, quote unquote, new masters, at least for one of their films each that are are tying together these carpenter elements, you know, these these elements of of tropes that they've grown up on and being able to put some new modern twists thematically into the equation, you know, whether it's yesterday with, you know, having a quintessential house at haunted house plot with a possession being played to add something new or tomorrow where we're going to have a little bit of something that already had entered the culture in terms of style and a little bit of presentation, but offers something that I think is really unique. So I think it's, it flows very well in this. And it's <laughs> definitely a standout, definitely a favorite of ours, but uh, you know, of the last decade and definitely a, a kickoff of, what would have been an A24 release if uh, it came out just a little bit later. But, but yeah, I think it's, it's definitely very well suited to, to this, this point in the list. I'm surprised it didn't do bigger at the box office. Played well in Ireland. At least six people went. (laughs) I mean, it made like 20 something million on like a, you know, two million dollar budget or something a little under. No one was complaining. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but but I'm surprised it didn't really, it didn't really take off. I feel like it needed the stronger marketing of like A24, even though it feels like a very much an A24 horror film. Like I feel like A24 knows how to market and has like made it a science and how to really blow these things up, which is why I I fear that there will be a sequel to this somewhere down the road. And I'm very curious what that will be. Still following. <laughs> yeah. Wes, as a producer, were there any shots or setups that gave you a heart attack or a nightmare of something to deal with. I mean, those 360 spin shots. I mean, <laughs> yeah. how many how many takes was that? Get out of the way. Get out of the They're way. They're so good. They're great yeah. shots. Yeah. I mean, the, the camera work was amazing. The 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 pans, you, you know, these those yeah, 360 degree shots, the the zooms was was all pretty incredible, but um uh no, it it looked like a fun fun movie to make. Yeah. Can imagine. Jamie, what's your plan? How are you getting away from this? What's your what's your first step? Step one, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I have to I have to tell my girlfriend, hey, I need like a hall pass. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I guess that's pass. something they definitely don't deal with. None of these characters are already in relationships and like, so I've been cheating on you and now there's a monster. <laughs> That or just like almost the comedy, the dark humor of like being like, honey, I need to pass this on to someone else. And then being like, you're trying to like you want an open relationship and this is the best excuse you can come up with. Yeah. A supernatural entity (laughs) is chasing you and you need to sleep with someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, A naked woman is walking after you. (laughs) I mean, honestly, she's kind of old and bloody. Not to uh, discredit the characters, but I feel like it might be 
easy to like trap in like a I don't know yeah. like something like some. I, I, I'm assume, thinking uh, interview with a vampire style, just like just put it in a put it in a hole. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Like you know, unless it can teleport or something, like it has some other powers that we aren't really keen to. It seems to get to places fairly quickly. That even though it's I am, it's implied that it's just walking. Maybe it has like a. It, it manifests like a mile away from you at some point. <laughs> like it's a, it has like a respawn point. So I would say I would try and trap it before I would try and pass it is my, uh, my thoughts. I feel pretty confidently that it, it moves on like solid ground. Like, I don't think it, it, you know, like, I don't think it's like Halo playing co-op where it just a yellow screen appears. And That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I, I do love that scene, uh, which we didn't bring up when they're in the, backyard and, and kind of being told the initial description of it and it's one of the few times where uh the new guy hugh when he's just like he's like hey hey do you guys see that girl walking oh, yeah. towards <laughs> us and they're, and they're just like yeah and they just move on he's like ready to have a complete Phew. breakdown yeah <laughs> yeah and that that kind of like shows the stakes of he's like yeah i'm not like mad at you guys but like i'm fucking losing it here yeah i lived in detroit in uh you know trap house for, yeah. for like months just masturbating yeah. and thinking about this. i mean i i know there was some sequel ideas of like going back and trying to find that origin would you go guys be interested in watching that or are you like leaving it as this singular piece i think it excels as a single piece and any sort of resolution will dilute it that being said i would love it if, i almost don't like if they're gonna do it they should just go like the strangers pray at night with it and just go in a totally different genre. This is a very like slow contemplative film. The sequel should just lean hard into like an eighties, nineties slasher film and be like kind of ridiculous. It's like a dude in, in a SWAT team ends up getting it. And it's like, all right, boys, we're taking this fucking thing down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something like something. Take this like guy that. to the pool. Zero dark yeah. flirty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, like I, I'm sure someone will the be flirt able. locker. <laughs> There's money to be made, so I'm sure it'll be. I, I seriously doubt David Robert Mitchell will be involved, but I'd you know I'd, I'd watch it. It probably would be bad, but I'd watch it. Is what I would say. Yeah, I can't. I can't think of too many movies that go back to the well with the uh, express purpose of. Okay, now I have to explain everything that was purposefully ambiguous. You know, like I think of Fear Street that came out in the last year, where it's like. Okay, we made these in tandem so that there would be enough connective tissue to make you hungry to figure out the origin story. And we're going to do that all at the same time. But anytime you do something with a very distinct, purposely stylish and ambiguous, you know, horror lore subject and then go back to the well and are like, our purpose is to explain this more or make it less heady or less ambiguous, you just end up being the thing that people try to forget to enjoy the first one again, you know? So I think this one is, you know, th there's no ground left to tread pun intended uh, <laughs> to, to get anything more out of the themes here. So I, I think the rest of it would just be playing with a useful monster, which again, like then you're not, you're not serving your themes. You're just serving scares that you're trying to intend to create, which is that's, that's bad horror. Right there. What follows, yes. it follows. Hopefully nothing. <laughs> I would only watch a very sexually active nursing home version, <laughs> which is what I thought about. But no thanks. No thanks. I don't need it. Wes, what do you think? Sequel potential? 
I wonder if it there hasn't been a sequel partially because there is no singular the the evil in this is is kind of you know in you know, it's it's not like you don't have your Freddy or you don't you know you don't have your mm-hmm. um you know zombie you know it's just it's all a little bit kind of up in the air on what this is and so maybe that's why I think actually for good maybe why there isn't a sequel to it mm-hmm. yeah I think the most quintessential version of the monster is the tall guy because it's just like no I don't think anybody knows that guy it's just like <laughs> once upon a time this monster encountered a really tall dude and was like I'm gonna fuck with some people with this yeah <laughs> yeah that was that like one in his terrifying. back pocket yeah He's like I gotta bust this, this out is, this is my trump card when I need to break down a door I'll just be this <laughs> seven foot tall guy but but I think I think like yeah I, I, it's like I, I'm like with you Jamie I would love to see a sequel probably just because but it's probably gonna be crappy and and they and i think you know whatever that version is they'll they'll make it one it you know that follows you know they'll give Mm -hmm. that bad entity like some kind of identity which i think will ruin what actually makes it follows kind of scary which is that there you know there isn't one one face to this the evil Mm -hmm. i think that any sequel of this would end with somebody like taking pills to castrate themselves chemically or something and then it would be like the end of fucking split where the monster would be like finally thank you and like walk away into the sunset like all i wanted was for people to stop fucking (laughs) i I don't know or it's it's the dark comedy and like the guy is like meeting all these girls and like having a great time and they keep end up dying he's like what's wrong with me like (laughs) yeah bad luck chuck yeah (laughs) it writes itself yeah boom oh man it's just cute something's really a dark shadow over my head here (laughs) no i think uh this one nothing should follow yeah so to speak I, i like any movie as well that is its own log line so just a full sentence movie that it's just like it follows logline it follows yeah. Yeah. there's you a know? period so, on the end of this yeah always a good title there's so, an yes. interview too with uh quentin tarantino talking about like ideas for it follows and his like reaction to it and you know now we're talking about how we would try to deal with it and 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 ideas for a sequel one of his that he talks about he's like well why doesn't you know everyone in the room fuck each other so they can all see it and like <laughs> go against oh, it as smart. a team yeah that's good but then they're all involved. Then they're all cursed. It gives them an advantage, though. Yeah, at least like at a certain point, like just get like every get 40 people together and I'll fuck each other. And then they can at least see this one thing slowly coming at them. But can I like that? I read I read the Quentin Tarantino uh, criticism to, you know, uh, to prepare for this. And and I find his criticism so strange because he comes at it from like not a filmmaker point of view from like just a fanboy. He's just like. Why don't they all oh, just yeah. fuck? And it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Tarantino, why don't they? And then you don't have a movie. Like, like, I, it, yeah. it, it, like where he came from was like almost like a really naive place. Or you have the book It. Yeah. It, yeah. It's just like, <laughs> it's right. just. Speaking of kids fucking <laughs> yeah, for geez. reasons we don't need. But, like. but it was just, it was like almost like, it, he, it was like, I don't, I don't know. It was, I find it really, I, you know, I like tarantino's films but he was being kind of a toxic fan and then yeah i think where it's like dude just why does jackie brown go to work yeah. like we're not asking these questions <laughs> you know like, i mean I, yeah I, and considering his last two movies are just you know like alternate reality like 
fan movies that being tarantino's like i don't know man like why don't you write a better movie too i don't don't yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) i also have i have so i have pause if we're giving this is like you know a consulting question in an interview where we literally have to solve it it's like yeah well some people have moral you know standards to not involve their friends in a death cult so that's my other answer i would i would go back and try to go up the chain and be like who gave it to you Let's create a super team of who already are involved in this. No, no judgments. No, you know, like nobody blame anybody. We've all been there, you know, but like anybody who's still alive, let's let's chat. I would watch the investigative procedural about this where, you know, it's like an X-Files that they're trying to figure out like kids weirdly interconnected dying in this like small area. Yeah. Who Detroit. gave it to you? Oh, well, they died. So I don't know who gave it to them. We got to do some It ends research. up all stemming from the fall of the automotive industry in Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> who was masturbating in the yeah. attic at what time so we can figure it out. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a movie that, again, like I think it's any movie with this kind of logic, like The Ring, where there's like it could be a poster where it's like step one, step two, step three, you know, like the the poster for the visit or whatever, where it's just like, here is the logic is going to get dissected like this. And a movie like this is so much more about so- style than substance and theme than story that I just it's exhaustive to think it's yeah. exhausting to think about and unnecessary to yeah. think about for me where it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, just the kids, they made these decisions and this is what we're watching. Like we, there aren't judgments made about them. I like all the decisions the kids make. I really like the mythology of it and the ambiguity, ambiguity, <laughs> the ambiguousness. Yeah. <laughs> ambiguity. I, was, I know, but I was trying to figure out where I was going to go with this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't speak and I don't have ideas. Yeah. My, no, my, I, I no just don't. I guess the only the only thing that bothers me that we had talked about is the one time where in the pool it starts kind of throwing things and doing other stuff and it 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 gets a little this movie isn't called it throws it gets a little cheesy <laughs> and ever... weird where it would I don't know in my mind it'd be more terrifying if it was just getting into the pool slowly and she's mm-hmm. just right. screaming that it's in the pool and it breaks the yeah. rules a little bit and yeah. that's or if sense. it like drags the cord with its feet. yeah, yeah. If you saw like, there are ways like that. to get around that yeah but know. but I don't I don't mind that this isn't buttoned up to the point where I can follow a list of how the thing acts and fo- like yeah. that's the that's what makes it scary is that it's just a bunch of kids trying to figure something out and they don't have most of the answers. Yeah. And I think I mean my last thought is just I and maybe this is a thing I don't want to speak for David Robert Mitchell about him but you should I, though you should. <laughs> yeah. I I get the sense that he's not like interested in making like horror movies and not that there's anything wrong with like horror movie directors. Like I love Mike Flanagan, who was like almost exclusively a horror film director. And I'm not saying it, there's no, I don't see it as any pejorative sense, but some people might, but I would say that like considering the film he made before this and the crazy movie under the silver lake that he made after this, he's more of a director that had an idea that happened to be, that he decided to make a horror film. It's almost kind of like yeah, he was he's like Ari Aster trying to get out of the game. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be typecast as like one of these Ty West types. Yeah, like, I had a, I had a simple premise that was going to play scary, but it's my themes are going to take me another direction. Yes. Later. And I not to say that like there's anything like I said, nothing wrong with horror film directors, but I feel like I like when a director. Can get, <laughs> I don't think this podcast would be accused. Of yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I like when a director comes in to the horror genre and kind of brings a certain freshness, a different perspective when he's not like maybe tied to the horror genre in a way that other directors are, which I just find like it's just nice to have that sort of sense where I don't know if he'll ever make another horror movie again. And, you know, 
there's horror elements in Under the Silver Lake, but I feel like he has other ideas that he wants to explore and isn't just going to be like, oh, what's my next horror film? Maybe he will, maybe he won't, but I have a sense that he, he's not really interested necessarily in going back to that well. One and done. One and done. Which is great. We yeah. thank him for it. I like Under the Silver Lake. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love bananas. It's, yeah, it's I, 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 I guess, you know, just man's reach should exceed its greatest. It grasp. feels like the movie he wanted to make like forever, and I'm glad that it fall was allowed him to make it for sure. Yeah, well, I'm excited to see where he goes next. It seems like this, from reading about some of the development, this wasn't necessarily one that he was looking at making right away. Had issues with other films and made this. And I'm glad we got to put it on the list. It, it's one that sticks with you. Some of the things don't necessarily always work on a rewatch, but I think the the tone and atmosphere and the just and the music, the music is down, is great. Down. Disaster piece. Shout out to that guy making some music. And I'd just like to thank our guest, Wes. Mm-hmm. Shout out his art school athletics, where he's a producer extraordinaire, and his upcoming film that he's producing called Last Call, which will be out probably in a, in a month or two, right, Wes? Aren't you nah, right? 2022. <laughs> <laughs> 2022. When are you guys shooting? We're shooting in November. So yeah, right right after right after this. They're oh. getting they're they're taking October off for Halloween, like we all are. Yeah. And then they're getting back to business. With director Winnie Chung, who just worked on a documentary with Jamie about folk and occult horror that's been popping around at some of the festivals. Chris, why don't you uh tee up what follows tomorrow? <laughs> what follows it follows is, you know, in a way similar to what followed it follows by <laughs> Mr. David Mitchell himself, because you know, some of these things may or may not have taken place at what may or may not actually be <laughs> a lake. Ooh, yeah. I like this. I like this. <laughs> Tomorrow for me, I think they're both dealing with sort of, you know, impending mortality and facing a death and knowing that you may are knowing that you're going to die and having that realization. So we're going to. We're going to reopen that wound that Jamie has from today and have him really yes. dive into it tomorrow. But yeah, I just love, you know, the sack. All right. Thanks a lot, Wes. And uh, yeah, we'll be talking to you tomorrow. Yeah. Thanks, Wes. See you tomorrow, listeners. See you tomorrow.